is Actually You Are a Real Runner with Jacqueline Riccio. Today in the podcast, I have Catherine Edgecombe. How are you doing today? I'm doing so fantastic. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, it's so funny as I met, met Catherine, kind of saw her stuff. I was like, oh my gosh, we're so similar. Um, in a lot of our messaging and like a lot of the things that we do. And it's just really cool to find someone that has had probably a very different experience, but also like so many similarities. So I like to get started. I know you're a nutrition coach and you're a personal trainer. Have those always like proper nutrition and working out, have those always been big things in your life kind of starting out? Yeah, that's an awesome question. And I agree. I came across your stuff. I think we were both talking about imperfect nutrition and like the importance of not trying to be a perfectionist when it comes to food. And so definitely super stoked to be hanging out with you and chatting a little bit about this. And I think part of the reason that that concept resonates so deeply with me is that for years and years and years, I was completely trapped in this idea of, of doing it all perfectly, doing exercise, doing nutrition perfectly. Um, I was diagnosed with anorexia when I was 13. Um, and it played out for me pretty, it was pretty bad when it first started, was counting every single calorie, was working out, running, trying to lift weights at 13 years 13. old. Yeah. It, like looking back, it's, it's heartbreaking to realize that like children are experiencing that. Um, but was diagnosed at that point, and that was really what plummeted me into health and fitness because from this desire to control my body, right? I was five seven. I was five six and a half. I'm five seven now. I was five six and a half at thirteen. So it was a really really tough time to be Catherine, um, and was trying to just control my body and force it into being different than where it was at. So my first and the reason that I got into health and fitness was definitely not from a health-minded space at all. And so when I look back, I was, I was trapped. I was pretty imprisoned by it. Um, I got help really quickly, and that was what was so important, right? My mom recognized that something was going on and got me help almost immediately. And I knew that I didn't want to be in that space. And so I fought my, I fought my butt off to try to kind of overcome it. Um, but my eating disorder was a huge part of my life for all of my teens and the early part of my twenties to the point where if I would travel and got out of that, like perfect nutrition, perfect exercise mindset, I would fall apart and I would just default to not eating, running tons of miles to try to burn off the calories and would come back from like a week long trip and have lost 10 pounds. Like it was, it was a very bad cycle for me that just continued over and over and I would get into an okay place and then stress would happen and I would be dealing again with trying to overcome. Um, and it got to the point when I was in college, um, my last year of college, um, I was doing twice a day workouts. I was controlling all of my calories, thinking that this is the only way that I can, I can stay on track. Um, and my heart stopped being able to handle all of the exercise. And so my heart my resting heart rate was low enough to be hospitalized. And so my doctor looked at me and was like, we're either putting you on bed rest at home or we're checking you into the hospital and you have to stop exercise completely. And at that point I was exercising over two hours a day um, just to try to maintain whatever the heck I, I thought was this ideal body. Um, 
But Jacqueline, I did. And I like stayed in bed. I did nothing. I rested for, for three days. And that was the last relapse that I've had. And it was six and a half years ago. Um, when I started working through all of that and got to a place where my body was healthy, um, I was amazed that even though my body was healthy, I was feeding good enough foods, I was not over-exercising, I still really felt trapped, you know? Like, I think the mindset piece is always what, what comes last. And so I remember saying to friends and family that, like, I still feel like I'm existing. I'm not living. I'm not being able to really experience everything that life is having to offer because I'm so focused on eating the right things and looking a certain way and exercising in the perfect way. Um, and that's, I think, what has pushed me through a lot of different, I figured that out along the way of like how to make those shifts. And as soon as I did, that's really when I started wanting to coach was because I would see women in this, this spot where they're trying to force their bodies. They're trying to do everything a specific way and they're missing out on their lives. They're not able to be the best versions of themselves. Um, and I think that for me was always what I wanted to change, what I wanted to help people with. Yeah, that's huge. So you're going through all of this in your teens, into, into college, um, and over-exercising two times a day. Yeah. And that's, and the crazy thing though, is that that from the outside can look like she's so disciplined. Exactly. Did you get a lot of that like external validation or like feedback from people that had no idea what was actually going on? Always. And I think the, the one thing that stands out for me, there's a, such a specific memory, right? But this was younger. When I was 13 and I had just been diagnosed with my eating disorder, I had lost 15 pounds in six weeks. And I remember getting nonstop compliments. And I remember putting on my gym uniform and walking out and I had like three different people like look at me on that blacktop and say, Catherine, you look amazing. I was so incredibly sick. I was counting the number of carrots I was eating and I would only be having like the lemon Lara bar because it was certain number of calories, right? Like I was so miserable, but the but society and everybody around thought that that was successful. And yes, in college, oh my gosh, running seven miles every single day, doing insanity workouts on top of that, like people thought it was incredible. And I was in the worst spot that, that I can even imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was talking to someone else and they were like, we always see weight loss as a success and like, Oh, the, the thing. And it's not to say like, I know sometimes people have a weight loss goal and that's fine. Um, but like, we always think that that is the Holy grail. Like, mm -hmm. okay, cool. She lost weight. Her body looks great. Um, but yeah, like what's going on in your head. So you said you sought treatment. How, like, how did you get yourself out of there? Like, um, treatment can look like a lot of different things for different people. Yeah. So when I first, um, I always, I think about my eating disorder in like two, it was two big phases, right? It was high school and then it was college. In high school, it was working with a psychiatrist who helped me kind of get a very meticulous like style of eating plan. Like he was also giving me nutrition advice. I don't know if that was technically the best option, but it was working. Um, and it was very structured. It was a very like portion based approach. So it gave me that structure of starting to think about things like protein, starting to think about things like getting good carbohydrates and fats, which still super helpful and important. Um, but when I relapsed really hard in college, 
um, and my heart was really struggling. Then I started working with a coordinated care team of, I had a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, a nutritionist, and um, a therapist. So even long after all the physical symptoms were gone, I continued with the therapy and taught this, this therapist I've been working with for, I guess, six, six, seven years now. Um, and it's just been super important because it goes so much deeper than just the food. Um, and I think that a lot of us put so much focus and I see this with my own clients. It's like we put so much focus in our inability to stay consistent or our inability to stop binge eating. But at the same time, like if you're not un- figuring out like what you're dealing with underneath and continuing to work through those things, then that as a coping mechanism is always going to show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you work with therapists and, but now you're where you do coaching. Can you explain a little bit like how coaching is different than therapy and like when someone should seek out a therapist and when coaching might be the right avenue? Yeah. You know, and this is Jacqueline, it's such an interesting question because my best friend in the whole world is a therapist. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about this quite a bit because we'll talk about the work that she does and the work that I do. And I always think about it as if you have a clinical diagnosis, you should be working with a therapist. You should be definitely working with a therapist if you feel like you're at risk for hurting yourself or you're going to do harm to yourself. 100% you should be seeking medical attention. The flip side and what I think coaching does that is so profoundly different is it's walk with me. It's walk with me in the steps that I have walked before so that I can help shepherd you along the way. Um, so with when it comes to coaching, I will teach you strategies and tools that have been helpful in my journey. I will share stories of things that I've, I personally have done. And those are things that a therapist just won't do. Like even if they have that similar yeah. life experience, it's, it's like a it's blank slate. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's not that, it's not the same relationship. Mm-hmm. So with coaching and I think it's so it's such a unique thing we get to a spot where we're really building those relationships and helping the person figure out what's going to work specifically for them what I also love about coaching is there's so much more like direct accountability to the person so I work with women very very uh, high touch so I keep have very few clients and they're texting me um, if they have a question or if they're at the grocery store trying to figure something out or they're panicking because they just just ate something that they didn't necessarily plan to. We work through those things in real time, which is pretty different from mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been able to text a therapist yeah. and ask them about, hey, what's going on in your life that can help me? Yeah, exactly. Not at all. So you call yourself an anti-perfectionist um, coach. What, like, what does that look like day-to-day for you and like baby strategies that you help people with? Yeah. I think the most, the big thing that I work with women on is to help them overcome that all or nothing mindset. And realistically what this looks like with a lot of my clients is helping us figure out the, what your body wants to do. So a lot of women do come to me for fat loss coaching, but I do it in a way that's super different where we're not focusing on forcing a result. We're focusing on building up like your awareness of your body, what's working for you, what's working for your mindset, and helping you figure out how to use that to get to a place where you feel your best and if you're and your body, the results will generally come. So what does that look like in terms of strategies? Most of my clients come to me with some sort of issue staying consistent. They tend to eat usually um, a lot of people who end up binge eating, a lot of people who can't seem to stick to a workout plan. And it's also people who tend to like just spend a lot of mental energy picking apart food and exercise where it should be 
adding to our lives as opposed to pulling us out of those moments. And so I think what, what it comes down to is how can I help you embrace and love all parts of yourself and trust that if fat loss is what's healthy, fat loss will come. Um, that is really, I think, what's been the most profound kind of coaching experience that mm-hmm. my clients have had. Yeah, that's huge. So you were before you seven miles a day or like doing insanity <laughs> or working out like two times a day, um, which again, I think is so common. We think like do more, do more, do more. So how did you get yourself out of that to like where you are now and what does it look like now? Yeah. So I think back to like 2014, 2015, I was 22. I had just started at Google. It was my first full-time job. And I just remember looking in the mirror and hating absolutely everything that I saw. Like even though I was healthy and was like decently active, my body just, I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't recognize it. I didn't feel good in it. And so I started trying a lot of different things. A lot, some of it wasn't healthy. Like looking back, I'm like, that was not good. Don't do that. But some of it, you look back and it was really great experience. So I started to experiment with a lot more weight training. I started cutting out running quite as much, although right now I'm training for a triathlon. So it's like completely like right back in. Um, And on the nutrition side, it was a lot of just education. So I started, I had always found it interesting, but I knew that my lens was really biased, right? Because I have that history of restriction and disordered eating. Like I'm going to always think about things a little bit different than somebody who doesn't have that background. So I thought it was really important to get that education. And I worked with precision nutrition to get that. And once I had more of an understanding of biochemistry and the way that food affects our bodies, I was able to start trying different types of things. But the funny thing is even as I healthified, right, my workout routine and I got nutrition to a much healthier place, it was a lot of the thoughts that still came up. Um, And that's where I felt frustrated and that's where I decided I was going to figure it out for myself. So I started investing in personal development work. So I started doing a lot more reading a personal development work. I hired a business coach. I continued in therapy. I started to do a lot of journaling and reflecting and really figuring out how can I uncover what's really pushing me to take these behaviors. And once I found that, then I do strategy work for my full-time job and with my coaching. So I started to figure out what can I, how can I take that part of my brain where I'm really good at like operationalizing things and breaking it down and making it simple. How can I do that with my own life? So a great example of that is when I was going through recovery and I think with a lot of us perfectionists, right? We look at food as simply fuel and we start thinking like we just need to eat what's really good for our bodies. And anytime that we deviate from that, we start to just like, we get down on ourselves. We feel like, Oh, Oh shoot. Like I shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so indulgence and having anything that tastes good and feels good and that you're eating for a reason outside of nutrition is bad. So I started to experiment with that. And I started saying, okay, but how do I normalize this? How do I make it so I'm not afraid to have a small piece of cake at my Sunday family dinner when we're celebrating a birthday? And so I started, I created a strategy that I call um, my conscious indulgence framework. So it's where my clients, I do encourage them and I do with myself, indulge every single day. And I make it 
part of my nutrition strategy because what it does, right, is number one, it keeps us from feeling too restricted um, where we end up needing a massive indulgence to kind of compensate for, feeling, for eating broccoli and egg whites for the whole damn week. Um, and on the flip side of that, it also starts to make it a little bit more normal so that when you make a choice to have something a little bit more indulgent, it doesn't scare you. It doesn't send you into that feeling of failure, which then leads us to binge, which then leads us to overexercise and all of those negative things that we're trying to avoid. So I did that with a lot of different ways, a lot of the different problems that I was facing. I created these strategies for myself, and then now I teach those to others. I love that. And like thinking about them as strategies and tools, or I think from like a, a, an elementary school perspective of like scaffolding to help your kid move along. They need, you know, like you, you gave yourself that hand that you need. The other thing I love too, is that you're saying like you're scheduling in, like it's in your day. I'm going to have this indulgence. And I come from uh, whole 30 where after like the question to ask yourself, they said was, is it worth it? And that question, right, right. That question always is like, well, F now I'm going to be in a fight with myself because I really want this chocolate and I don't know if it's worth it or not. But now like it's scheduled into your day. So it's like, well, no, there's like, it is, (laughs) it's there. Well, and I think the, the interesting thing there too is like when we are perfectionists, we need to stop trying to fight that. Like that's the other piece to this conscious indulgence and a lot of the other strategies I'll teach is if you're a perfectionist and you like structure, structure the heck out of it. Like figure out a way to work with yeah. that part of yourself. So I, I am not a go with the flow type of human. No one will tell you that. Like people who meet me the first time, you will never get that impression of me. So why was I trying to incorporate indulgence into my eating? with that in mind. Instead of, Catherine, I schedule everything. I plan things. I know what I want to do. And if I have a plan, I'll, I'll, I'll execute on it. So once I started to stop fighting who I was and started figuring out that, hey, like this actually feels really good when I do it, it got so much easier. And it took a lot of the mental gymnastics out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just kind of thinking about this. Okay, cool. Perfectionist, working at Google, A++ <laughs> right? And so it's yes. like, I'm also guessing sometimes um, allowing yourself to experience pleasure feels um, very sinful. How dare I experience pleasure on this earth? Like, and you can get into weird things with religion or with sex or just like things like that. Like, how dare you actually experience pleasure and enjoy it like pleasure can feel very like oh I'm not supposed to this is bad so like cool you're taking the way you do because the way you do one thing is the way you do everything okay cool how can we do this then how are we going to do this that's exactly right and I think I love I love that you're kind of teasing that component out because pleasure happiness joy worth if we're taking we think about this like at a, a big level those are really hard things for us to experience, right? We have a hard time accepting that into our lives. And I think food then just becomes the one thing that's really easy to focus on because we have to interact with it every day. So it makes sense to me that we all tend to to kind of struggle with the idea of eating more pleasurable foods because we're not comfortable letting ourselves be happy and experience that in other areas. So it's, it's again, like food tends to be, it can be a solution. It can be, like something that we, once we figure out the food, other stuff happens and it gets easier. 
but also we have to recognize that like that am I worthy of receiving this can be a big question in and of itself too. Mm, yeah. I love that. So you said you're training for a triathlon and I'm really interested to kind of hear. Um, so in the past it was over exercising and training for a race can be really hard. Cause like, here is your training plan. Um, so how is that going? Have you done anything before this race wise? Yeah. So, um, a little background, I ran cross country all throughout high school, middle school and high school. And then when I was in college was super sick. So I was always training for half marathons and the half marathon was like my jam. Like I loved the half marathon. It felt like a fun distance. It felt hard, but doable. Um, but then once I had all the issues with my heart, it, it got to a point where it was like, actually, no, Catherine, you can run for eight minutes, eight minutes set your timer. Like you can, in all honesty, I remember doing that. Um, so I took years off of racing and running, but in 2015, I moved to Austin, Texas and was living by myself and was doing a different job and started training for trail 10 Ks, which were a great reintroduction because you can't compare the times, right? Like I was placing in my age category running like nine and a half minute miles because it's a trail race. So I wasn't competing against my sick self, which was beautiful. And it allowed me to do it. And then in all honesty, just in the last couple of years, have I started to go back out and run? Um, but I do 10 Ks and I usually would train by running one time before. And the rest of it was just doing strength training and metabolic conditioning. And I would still, I was still fine. So this has been a big, change because I can't lift weights as much anymore because I won't over I won't over exercise anymore so I'm having to be really really strategic in the way that I train and also recognize that this is going to change the way that I eat and the way that my body looks for the next few months and just have to accept that which has been a bit of a challenge to be honest with you and it's something that I've reflected and talked quite a bit about even on social media of like accepting that this is a period of time where I have a different focus and I have to be more focused on the endurance component than losing body fat or building muscle, which I think is tough because a lot of times as women, we're conditioned like, no, 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 you need to always be thinking about fat loss, which is hard than when you start taking another path. Mm -hmm. So freeing though too. Like I mm-hmm. so before like when weight loss was always my goal, I actually did really enjoy race season because it was like, oh, I don't have to. I'm not thinking about that. I'm not thinking about being on a, a calorie deficit. Yeah. I'm out in the middle of 15 miles. I need to have enough fuel. <laughs> like I just, yeah. So tell me more about that when you look at fueling for your triathlon. How does your nutrition? What are your meals like? How? What are you adding more of? And how do you know how much? to add more of? So with my nutrition, I use um, what I teach my clients, which is my master your eating model. So I pay attention to everything from, and it's, it's like six pieces. So bear with me. M is your mindset, your appetite, satisfaction, your thoughts, your energy level, and how much you're actually restricting. So for me, I actually still tune into all of those things, no matter what. The main piece that really has changed with this training is around energy and appetite, right? So I start tweaking based off of those things. On the energy side, I haven't needed, it's, it's been a lot more recovery. It's been a lot more of like, 
hey, job, I'm piecing out at three. I'm going to go home and take a 30-minute nap and then get back online and work. Like I've been sleeping a lot more. On the appetite side, I have had to increase my carbohydrates more than my body has historically tolerated very well. Um, so I'm having to be really, really strategic about where I'm adding those in because I find that if I eat them at certain times of day, I don't feel great. So it's all about kind of just listening into my body a little bit more, making sure that if I am extra hungry, that I honor that instead of letting myself restrict, right? And that's why I keep that as part of my nutrition evaluation tool is if I am restricting, if I'm actively telling myself, no, you're hungry, you can't eat this. It's it, something's not working. And so it has, it hasn't been as much of a challenge as I was expecting, but I think that that's also because I am only going at this race as a, I want to finish. It's an all women's race, which I'm super cool. Like, I think it's super cool and I'm excited yeah. about. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to go out there and have fun and it's in wine country. So then I'll go and enjoy a weekend with my parents up in wine country. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty freeing to release that expectation of yourself as well. Mm. I love that. Yeah. It, when, when the race isn't just about the time, but about like, how can I experience this? How is this going to be fun? This is mm -hmm. like, like, oh my gosh, what a cool like destination race to be at. Yeah. I can't, I can't wait. Have you seen, so this like anti-perfectionist, like kind of, obviously you're still structured, but like releasing that stress, have you seen that kind of in other areas of your life besides with running and with food? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I would say once you start to see that perfectionism is holding you back, it's kind of like it's the thing you can't unsee, right? I think the other, to be real, the other big component of my life that that's played into is in a lot of my relationships. Um, and it's been about recognizing, not necessarily like trying to hold myself to that standard of being like the perfect partner or what have you. But in this dating lifestyle, it ends up being more about authenticity and doing what feels right for you and owning your worth as opposed to letting someone else decide it for you. Um, and I think for me, when I think about that, that's been the recent area of my life that it, I've been focused on implementing some of this with, right? Of like, because on the one side is perfectionism and on the other side is total acceptance of, of yourself. And when it comes to dating, where it's literally like external validation, and that's all it is, like how do I continue to make sure that I'm building myself up and honoring all parts of who I am in this process? Mm -hmm. So it's been the tough part. And that's like the, yeah. the work in progress, like the asterisk, like still working on that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And I think that too, like, like even – that's one of the things my husband taught me though, about like, he's like, you keep expecting everything to be perfect in our relationship. And he's mm. like, you know, it's not going to be, and that's okay. And that was like, Oh, okay. Now yeah. what? like, you're right. Um, I do keep expecting that and it's not perfect. So what happens if I just accept that? Um, but yeah, so that's, that's one of those huge things. Cause I think like, even once you get into like in a relationship, it's like that stuff pops up. Oh, it totally does. And it's, it's expectations on others. It's the expectations you have on yourself. It's the second guessing is actually, I think where it plays out the most. All right. Because as perfectionists and my clients, we even will talk about this. It's like, 
the, the hardest thing to let go of is the second guessing yourself. Did I do the right thing? Did I say the right thing? Did I eat the right thing? That plays out in dating. That plays out at work. Like it plays out everywhere. But when you're able to start seeing that as kind of a symptom of perfectionism and you're able to kind of start to give yourself compassion when you're in those moments, it gets a little bit easier to weather. So you talk about the kind of the compassion and personal development. What are the books or the podcasts or whatever that you're like, these changed my life? Yep. So there, there would be probably the two that come immediately to mind are the dark side of the light chasers. Um, and that book is amazing because it, it helps you understand that the parts that you actually have tried to disown and not like about yourself can actually be your greatest strengths. So that's why you will never hear, I don't necessarily ever like shit on perfectionism. Like it's just who we are. We just, and once we learn to embrace it, yeah, we're successful. Yeah. Yes. I actually, in talking with you, I think about someone that I worked with last fall and I'm like, perfectionism is what got you the career that you have. Like it it is not a, but it like, it has gotten you there. However, it might not always um, get you what you want. So how are we going to work with that? I love that. And I think the the piece there, I think that's super, super interesting is perfectionism, restriction, like all of these are coping mechanisms, right? Like they're things that we do to deal with life when it gets hard. When you can recognize them for what they are and build up what I will, what I coin and talk to my clients about as strategic self-awareness enough to kind of see when that's happening Mm -hmm. and recognize that that means something else is probably off. Mm -hmm. You can then lean on it and love on it and know that like, okay, like I recognize that this is happening. Now I have to figure out why. Yeah. And I can actually make myself happier. So I will tell clients all the time because I get this question a lot. Like, do you still have like ED thoughts? Do you still have restrictive thoughts? Of course I do. Of course I do. And they come up when I'm stressed, when I'm tired, when I'm vulnerable, when I'm not taking care of myself. So when I start to see and feel those things come up in the past, I would have gotten frustrated with myself. I would have put myself down. Why aren't you past this? had a lot of guilt coming into the coaching world, right? Having those thoughts still coming up. But now I look at them and I'm like, cool, thank you. Now I see I need to make a change to my self-care ritual. I need to make sure that I'm getting connection with my friends if I'm feeling really lonely. Like it's just about looking at things a little bit differently and it makes everything easier. I think in the intuitive eating book, they talked about emotional eating or stress eating as like a strange gift. Like here's yes. a strange gift. What like open it up and see like what, like, yeah, but like where, where are things not balanced? Where, what is it that you actually want and need? Um, Cause something is missing and it's, yeah, you're not an awful person for. No, yeah. you're coping to the very best of your abilities in that moment. And I think when you, when you're able to have that compassion, for yourself. And I say this at work to people or, and especially with my clients, it's like everyone is doing the very best that they can in this moment. And if you can give that compassion to your friend, to your sister, to your coworker, like why can't you turn that around on yourself? And it's perfectionism that unfortunately is making us look at that as a failure. Yeah. But when you're able to kind of take that step back and say, no, actually I'm grateful for this because it's showing me where I need to maybe make some tweaks. 
it doesn't have as much power over you. That's huge. Any other books or podcasts that change your life? The other book that I would just strongly recommend, and I just finished reading it a, a third or fourth time, is um, A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. And this is, it's, it's more of a spiritual book, um, and it's based off of the A Course in Miracles. And so it's all about the fact that love, the force of love in the world and why that's ma- why that matters and how if we can just get more in touch with that and the reality of love, that everything else kind of falls into place. So it's a great, it's, if, if you're getting started on personal development and working on embracing and accepting yourself, it's a great book to start with. Mm-hmm. I loved that one. Awesome. I haven't heard those. I'll have to check them out. Yeah, they're really good. Um, and then I also like to hear the last thing I want to talk about is there are stuff, there's stuff out there on the internet. We are so highly um, influenced by what we see on social media, the, the ads <laughs> that are yeah. on, like so many things. Um, what things out there do you see that like really irk you and you're like, man, I would love this message to not be repeated um, or this product or this program or this whatever. I think I, I, like I can bash on specific programs and, but I think for me, the big idea is, is that like if any program out there where you're doing something that just feels really unnatural for yourself, um, if you force it, your body will fight back. Like your body will not be able to maintain if you do something that is completely out of alignment and that doesn't feel good and that you're struggling to implement. Like, I think we all know this, but it's the, it's the faster way to fat loss. It's the programs that are like super, super strict, super, super restrictive for a short period of time that will help you lose the weight, but your body is not going to be able to maintain that. You will not be able to maintain that lifestyle. So for me, anytime that I see a program that's promising those kinds of results or doing something that is crazy restrictive, I lose my ish. Because I just know, and I was, I've said this to fat loss clients, I can help you lose 20 pounds pretty quickly. It's not, that, that part's not hard, but I want to do you the service of allowing you to maintain this for the rest of your life. And if we don't do things that feel natural and take things slowly and take those steps, then we completely end up losing it. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think is, is probably the biggest one. But I, to be honest with you, have gone through such a unfollow game. So I don't see this stuff. I follow people like you. I follow people that I respect and who are putting out good content. I might be, it might be good for me to go out and look at some of the crap that's out there (laughs) because it would probably fire me up. But I'm so like focused on my own lane and helping the people in my corner of the internet um, that I, I, it's like, that's, that's been the focus. Every once in a while, like someone on like a coaching application will be like, Oh, I did this for a few months. And then I'm like, Oh, what's that? And then I look through it. I'm like, uh, oh, what is this? Um, and it's hard because I'm like, Oh yeah, look, there's, um, you know, the top 10% of their clients with these amazing, um, before and after photos. And I'm like, but show me where this person is on day 365. Show me the thoughts that are going in this per- going on yep. in this person's head. Did they get to go to any birthday parties during the time they were doing this or were they sitting at home? Like, yep. tell me those things. Don't just show me the fat loss photo. No, and like, and I always go back to those, like thinking about fat loss, right? As this goal and this 
end all be all. We, we equate it with happiness and we equate it with confidence. And I think that that's what breaks my heart is when I think about the times in my life where I was actually the lowest, I was in the most pain, not just with my ED, but like in breakups in like all of that. I am the, I'm probably 10 pounds lighter than I am right now. Like I'm just miserable, but to the outside world, we glorify it. So it's always the question of like, what are you willing to trade? What are you willing to hand off? And I think I said this in a post recently and I love, I love it. So I keep saying it. It's like my body reflects like my love of salads, but also the fact that I'm never going to say no to having a glass of rosé with my girlfriend. Like I'm never going to, it's not worth it to me to have a six pack and live that lifestyle where I think we assume that the six pack is going to make you happy. And it's not, it doesn't like, it doesn't matter if you are 10, 15% body fat, like if you're not living and thriving and experiencing life, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter. And I think the marketers out there will tell you differently, right? They're going to tell you that losing the weight is going to make you more confident, but it's choosing the the way that you want to show up in this world that makes you confident. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So if people want to find you, where are the best places to connect with you? Yeah. Instagram is probably the best and it's just my name, uh, Catherine Edgecombe. And I am that across just about every social media platform. Awesome. That's great. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm so excited to hear how your triathlon goes and all the training. Um, It was great to speak with you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good night.